Hey folks, this is Diana, your host. Before you listen to this episode, I have an announcement. I was recently given the awesome opportunity to be the guest editor of Canna Curious Magazine's Fall Issue. That's right. I guest edited the fall issue of the gorgeous Canna Curious Magazine. In case you don't know about this magazine, Canna Curious normalizes cannabis lifestyle for women through fact-based information, relatable personal stories, and verified products. Their goal is to enlighten women about the variety of ways cannabis can enhance all areas of their lives, from sex to beauty, nutrition, health and wellness, and much more. This is an awesome issue. And if you've ever listened to this podcast, you may recognize some people that are in this special anniversary edition. So please, please, please support this awesome group of women by subscribing and also ordering your print copy, which will be available mid-September, but you can pre-order it two weeks early. So go to cannacuriousmag.com, that's cannacuriousmag.com, to subscribe to their newsletter, follow them on social media, and buy the latest copy and past issues. Check out their past issues because they're wonderful. And please just continue to support independent media and especially a media run by women and non-binary folk. Welcome to Your Highness Podcast, a show where we get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uncover areas of cannabis where accessibility and inclusiveness are lacking, and elevate conversations about ways to affect real change in this space with a specific focus on folks who identify as women. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast. This is your host, Diana Crash, and today I am joined by cannabis regulatory lawyer, Jessica McElfresh. Did I say that correctly? (laughs) McElfresh. There you go. McElfresh. I'm like, I know I didn't do that. There you go. You got it. (laughs) How are you doing today, Jessica? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm 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 just impressed somebody got my last name right on the second try. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 a perfectly fine last name. It's memorable, but it it it, it always makes for some complications. Yeah, I have one of those as well. So I hear you. So we're going to start this episode as we do every episode with our recurring segment, Babe Pot, Babe Not Pot, where we each discuss our favorite cannabis and non-cannabis related item movement, movie, book, whatever you want at the moment. And I don't normally talk, talk about specific strains, but um, I'm going to start with my fave pot. And I am going to talk about this strain called Burnt Toast Number 4. And I'm in Maryland, so it might not be uh, accessible everywhere. But um, it says it's an indica. And I, I mean, it probably is, but... <laughs> believe it. It says it's an indica. I'm skeptical. No I'm kidding. It's a good daytime or nighttime um, strain I'm finding. So I really like that. And um, it, it doesn't give you couch lock I'm finding. It's like a good productivity strain for right. a time of day, which is good. To, good for me. <laughs> I know, yeah. So what's your fave pot item at the moment, Jessica? Uh, 
I, yeah, you know, my favorite that's been for a while is probably going to be the, uh, the Camino Road, uh, gummies from, uh, Kiva. Mm -hmm. I'm particularly fond of the new, uh, live resin ones. Uh, Yeah. So I'm uh, particularly the, the, the more sativa dominant ones. I, I, uh. Despite being a high throttle person, I find I do better with sativa than than uh, indica dominant strains. I, yeah, yeah, I don't get along with the indica dominant ones. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I don't like being told to slow down. <laughs> right. Well, I think as we're finding out more and more about the um, the truth behind sativas and indicas, we're going to find out that it's not necessarily you know something that's going to make you more energetic throughout the day or more hyped up. I think it's just like a sensitivity to certain things, serpent, certain terpenes and other elements yes. of the flower. I mean, I'm not a scientist or a botanist or a grower or cultivator, but I think the more I do research about it and find out like how my body is, I think, and, and talking to people, like recently I interviewed someone who told me that she has OCD and she needs sativas to get inside of her head while I need to avoid sativas because it gets me way into my head, like nonstop. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but anyway, we don't have to go on a whole discussion about that. But I think that's really uh, something that we'll learn more about as we learn more about the uh, profiles of strains and, and all these like things that we, I should say, as we unlearn the things that we've been told. <laughs> Right. So long. Um, So anyway, switching gears, my fave not pot. I did pick something legal because you're on, and then I thought maybe it was offensive, but we already talked about it. Um, (laughs) This the latest season of The Good Fight. Now, if you watch The Good Wife, I know you might roll your eyes at the idea of a prequel or a spinoff or whatever, but this is a completely different show, and I cannot get over how they're just willing to go all the way in on every like hot button topic right now, you know, as it occurs, you know, like almost in real time. And um, anyway, I'm not spoiling anything, but they, this <laughs> season they have Man- uh, Mandy Patinkin playing this like make believe judge in this reality, uh, reality TV type courtroom. But it completely turns the idea of like, what we think is the justice system on on its head, and uh, it's it's a very very entertaining <laughs> watch. I love it. I'm I'm really into this new season, so I highly nice. recommend well, I, I recommend the whole thing, all of the seasons, but this new season is really really good. So, what is your fave not pot? Well, uh, this probably could go on for a while, but lately. Lately, I've been enjoying a podcast uh, called The Trials of Frank Carson. It's not an opera, but I think it's a story that deserves more attention. Uh, it's produced by the Los Angeles Times, and it relates to uh, an effort by a county government in California to prosecute not only a fairly well-known local criminal defense attorney there, but members of his family and uh, somehow also people who are part of the highway patrol and some other local business owners in an alleged plot to uh, have murdered a local drifter. Wow. Uh, it doesn't hold together, but it's a pretty fascinating, uh, in terms of their case, uh, it was a travesty. 
Uh, but it's a story that deserves a lot more of attention, uh, including, I think people can sort of under-consider the vast power of the government uh, in these sorts of situations and really why we need to be so careful in what we choose to prosecute and when and how and be very suspicious of when cases are brought with possibly less than pure motives and incredibly specious evidence. Wow, that sounds right up my alley. I'm adding that to my podcast list as soon as we end this because I, I love that type of podcast. That sounds exciting. Um, yeah. I'm really I'm excited to listen to it. Wow. So uh, we are going to talk about... Uh, a hot button topic of our, uh, ourselves today, right? In many states, people are being fired for their cannabis use, even if they have a medical card or certification. Uh, for example, according to the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission, where I am, uh, Maryland law does not prevent an employer from testing for use of cannabis for any reason or taking action against an employee who tests positive for use of cannabis for any reason. Um, in your experience, are employees generally surprised when this happens? Yes, they are. That's also the case in California, even though we passed Prop 215 back in 1996, and at that point, we're the first in the nation to have a medical cannabis law. Uh, we were not the first, obviously, with adult-use cannabis, uh, but uh, with Prop 64 in 2016, but it still remains the case in California that uh, medical cannabis qualified patients and also people using adult use cannabis, uh, there, there's no employment protection. They, they can be fired if they test positive uh, during a pre-employment drug screening, uh, obviously if they have certain safety sensitive jobs where they're routinely uh, drug tested or uh, other times people have jobs where they may be drug tested due to, say, some type of minor accident in the workplace or some incident. Uh, actually, it's been interesting over the years, the number of people who work in the medical field uh, who have called me. Um, not, not so much uh, medical doctors uh, or even registered nurses, but more people who work in some of the support roles, uh, say, uh, in a retirement home or things such as that. Uh, and AIDS, uh, often finding that they people are just very surprised because they, they have this uh, assumption that if something is legal under the laws of their state, right. that they can't be fired for using it or consuming it or using it medicinally, and that yeah. is simply not the truth. Right. And even if you work for a cannabis company, like I know here, I don't know what it is in California, but... I know um, that people have been turned away from getting hired by cannabis companies because they tested positive for cannabis. And even <laughs> if you have your card now, now some companies will say, okay, you have your card, but we need documentation and we need, you need to show us that. But if you don't have your card, you're not getting hired by a cannabis company. How wild is that? <laughs> you know, that's a little crazy. I, I can't say I've heard of that occurring uh, with any California cannabis companies. I don't know that it hasn't, but I can't say I've ever, I've ever heard of it. Uh, yeah. But that, that is, that, that's certainly, uh, that's, that's actually ironic, not, not in, in the real sense of the word. Right, because I, people are just so shocked. They're like, I, what, huh? <laughs> this was the one job. I thought, oh, no, it's not. And I mean, that's pretty much what's been happening a lot. Uh, my husband's had issues hiring people because of it. Wow. So 
Yeah. So does any does a person have any recourse once they are fired for this reason? So I'm not an expert on employment law. So what typically happens when somebody calls me in one of these situations is I explain to them the state of California's cannabis laws and that there's there's no protection under the law, that it is that and all of those things, and that as a result, they're not going to find much protection there. I do usually encourage them to speak to an employment law attorney simply to ensure that, for instance, if it was uh, a case where they were tested following a workplace accident or something, that all of the proper rules and channels were followed. Same with other types of, of situations. There, there may be something within employment laws about how the process was, was, was conducted that could offer them some relief. But in terms of simply the, the cannabis piece of it, no, there, there really is not much wow. you can do. Wow. I mean, even if you have a medical card and you have like a chronic illness that's on that list, I, I don't even think there's anything there really, right? That has been the that has been the case in California. In fact, in California, we we had litigation on the issue back in the day in a case that Cal, went to the California Supreme Court, Ross versus Raging Wire, uh, a scenario much like the one you just sort of described, where you you had a gentleman who uh, was a qualified patient, used it for medicinal purposes. I believe he may have even been a disabled veteran. And he got a job working support for uh, a tech company, as, as I recall. And he tested positive in a pre-employment screening. And it was litigated to the California Supreme Court. California Supreme Court basically said Prop 215 and subsequent laws enacting it did not address these questions. And thus, the, the law did not offer protection. I can appreciate why. Uh, and obviously, people disagreed on this question of the law. Um, Hence, it was litigated, uh, and but unfortunately, that was the, the state of the law at that time. We have made some attempts in California to get a bill through the legislature on multiple occasions, and I do have to do a shout out to uh, California Normal as well as Americans for Safe Access, who have worked on that bill in California for many years. Uh, it's gotten through and been vetoed. It's had trouble getting through the legislature. I'm sure we'll try again at some point, and it wouldn't protect everybody in every circumstance. There can also be complications when, say, uh, obviously we're not going to be able to get people protection for a federal employer, and there can also be some issues with jobs where there's federal funding and where the lines are, and safety-sensitive uh, can also be different. But just the most basic-level protection, the most straight-ahead within California employment, nothing safety-sensitive. We're still trying to get through protection at that level, even for medical cannabis patients. That is just so frustrating. Um, so what are some other legal blind spots at the intersection of employment discrimination and cannabis? Like basically, are there other things employees should think about if they consume cannabis, legally speaking? Well, I think a lot of that's going to depend on your job and what you do. Um where this typically comes up is is going to be in the pre-employment drugs drug testing screen, safety sensitive positions, and also some people who are tested because of an accident uh, or some other incident in the workplace. So those are really where they come up with the most. Uh, 
obviously, even if somebody were to hypothetically disclose that they used adult use cannabis uh, or medicinal cannabis, even if they did not test positive, they could be likely fired for that as well if they disclosed it to their employer. So uh, perhaps if you know that you're at a conservative employer or an employer for whom this may pose uh, issues, even if they personally don't have a problem with it, but perhaps somebody higher up in the company is worried about federal funding or something along those lines, it's wise to still be discreet. Yeah. And that would, of course, include your social media as well. I was just going to say, uh, because a lot of more people are doing a background check with social media now. And if you're promoting other cannabis brands or retweeting something about cannabis, um, that could put you in a precarious situation for sure. <laughs> but legally speaking, it could, yeah. Yeah, it, there's probably a number of, it, I'm sure more, more and more people are just taking steps to keep their social media a bit more private in general versus if you've made a decision to live very out loud on social media for various goals. I, I think that the, the choices are different. Uh, something to be aware of. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just now starting to, you know, be more open about everything all the way around, but it takes, it takes steps for, for some people, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons for, you know, trying to keep things segmented on social media. So um, before we end, is there any way that the cannabis can support you better at in both a professional way and a personal way, if you would like to include that, or if you just want to speak professionally. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. This is probably the, the question I, I'm, I, I have the strangest time answering. I've, so I've been, a, I've been doing what I call Canvas Regulatory Law now for nearly 12 years in California. And it's certainly changed a lot during that time uh, and gone in a lot of different directions. I don't think it's so much something to support me, but I do hope uh, that as we very happily uh, move into more regulation and, uh, and as a result, at times, more acceptance, I think we have to hold on to two things. One is fairly obvious, which is trying to keep regulation reasonable and not overly onerous. That's clearly been an ongoing battle in California, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, the second one is more for people who, say, are not active in the industry, which is we still have a challenge in California, which is while we have so much more available at the state level for licensing, uh, we still are struggling with local acceptance and local regulation. We still have local control in California. So if a jurisdiction does not want to have cannabis businesses, they can ban them. And that can be overcome with, say, a local voter initiative. But a lot of times, people would do themselves a big favor. You know, people will call me and say, well, why aren't there... Why are there retail outlets in such and such city? Well, that city passed a ban last year. I didn't even know about that. Well, the, we have, uh, well, we have, I believe, over 400 cities in California. Uh, so if you want to have these businesses in your local government, whether as a business operator, an employee, uh, an ancillary services provider, or simply a consumer, uh, it's worth paying attention to uh, local promotions regarding it and taking a glance at times at the local agendas. 
uh, it, it does matter when you write in and say, or call, or go to the meeting, and say that this is a use you want. Because many people who do not want it are very vocal about that. And the, I, I like to hope many elected leaders want to at least be aware of what their constituents want. But if you are simply part of the silent majority on the issue, they're not always as aware that there is support for this. Absolutely. And so to that uh, note, can people do a better job of supporting regulatory lawyers such as yourself in these measures, like trying to draw attention to these things more so? I think that it's the same as with any other change. I, I think that people try to get information out there, but there's also no substitute for paying attention yourself. Uh, and so often we I think it's that we're all perhaps more realizing more than ever the importance uh, on a wide variety of issues of keeping an eye on what your local government, your state government, and higher are doing. And simply when issues come up, uh, it does matter that you call. It does matter that you send a letter. You may think that it doesn't. You may think that they get it, you know, because, oh, over 60% of Californians voted for Proposition 64. Surely they get the deal. No, they don't. Uh, they, they need to hear, and you need to stand up and be counted if this is what you want locally. Similarly, we also have to keep working to get our other laws to more match up with the changes we've made for business. We've Prop 64 did a lot to overhaul our, our criminal laws and criminal penalties, but as we've been discussing, we still don't have very basic, low-level, low-risk, low-complication employment protection. Uh, we are, uh, so that would be another good issue for people to focus on because I, it, it's really hard for me to think of something other than family and health, perhaps, that's more fundamental than many people's lives, which is the ability to seek employment. Right, absolutely. I, I feel like that so much of the fight has been accessibility, at, and so some people it's hard to think beyond that because there's so many holes in just the accessibility aspect, but accessibility goes beyond being able to have the plant in your hand. Right. Right. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So um, I appreciate you being on the show today and sharing your infinite wisdom with us. So how can people find you and, and what other areas um I mean, I know you cover a lot of areas legally, but uh, what what are like some of the top areas that your um, the cannabis industry seeks you out for, and and how can they find you? Sure, uh, I'm fa I'm fairly easy to find. You can Google my difficult to spell last name, uh, or you can go to my website, uh, which is maclefreshlaw.com. That's M like Mary, C like cat, E like elephant, O like lamb, F like Frank, R like Rick. E like elephant, S like Sally, H like Harry. And yes, I do that all day. Um, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> the first time you did it to me, I was like, I know she does this every day. I can yeah. tell. <laughs> yes, you, can, you can find me there. Uh, we work on cannabis regulatory compliance. We work on local and state licensing, uh, including land use applications. Uh, we also uh, help people navigate the licensing process if they've had past criminal convictions of any sort. We have uh, co-authored or assisted in authoring 
uh, voter, local voter initiatives uh, to regulate cannabis businesses and do a fair amount of policy work. I also still do some garden variety criminal defense cases, which these days does not overlap as much with cannabis as it once did. And I'm happy about that. That's a good yes. thing. That is a good thing. Hopefully, we'll see that with all drug crimes someday. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And if you're listening still, thank you for listening. Until next time, stay high and beautiful. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Your Highness Podcast or on Twitter at Highness Podcast. Be sure to rate us on iTunes and subscribe.